Okay, let's, let's go ahead and read the text. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would give light and understanding to this pregnant passage full of meaning, full of truth, brimming with divine truth. Lord, make it come home to our hearts in the time we have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's kind of unusual that Christmas falls on a Sunday. It, it only happens every so often. Uh, the next time it's going to happen will be in 2022. And after that, it doesn't come around until 2033, 11 years later. Because of leap year, it skips a Sunday. So it's unusual that it happens, but I think it's awesome. Because the church regularly gathers on Sunday anyway, so we're gathering on the very day that we remember that Christ was born into the world. And as such, I would like to meditate with you on John 1.14. Just this one verse. And in fact, we're not even going to look at the whole verse. We're going to look at the first third of that verse. Nine words is what we're going to meditate on. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's our text. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this morning, I just want to ask you four simple questions. And we're going to get our answers from the Scripture. The first question is, who is this Word? It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is this Word? Who are they talking about? Well, if you look at the end of verse 14, it tells us, and we saw His glory, so the Word is a person, His, it's a personal pronoun, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Now we know who it is. Who is the only begotten from the Father? That's Jesus Christ. So the Word is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But what else can we learn about this word? Well, we have to turn back to the first three verses of this gospel to find out. Because there, John tells us a lot of, a lot of things about this word. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. What he's saying here is that the word existed before anything else existed. We know that because in verse 2 it says, He was in the beginning with God, and then all things came into being through Him. So before anything else came into being, Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning. He existed prior to anything else coming into existence. So this points to His eternal past, His eternal pre-existence. And that's why Jesus could say, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, he doesn't say before Abraham was born, I was. Before Abraham was born, I am. That's the name of God in Exodus 3.14. The name of Jehovah, I am. And Jesus takes that name upon himself. That's why in Revelation 22.13, Jesus says of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Now, if he were speaking today, he would say, I am the A and the Z. Because Alpha and Omega were the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Well, in the English alphabet, it's A and Z. I am the A and the Z. I'm the beginning, 
I'm the end. I'm the first. I'm the last. I had no beginning. I will have no end. I am eternally existent. I just am. I am. And that's why in John 1.15, it says that John testified about Jesus and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now tell me, who was born first, John the Baptist or Jesus? John the Baptist was, by six months. So how could John the Baptist, who was born first, say that Jesus existed before him? He's talking about his existence prior to his birth, isn't it? His pre-existence. And oftentimes when I've been witnessing to somebody, I'll share this truth with them that Jesus always existed, and it's like they're shocked. They think that Jesus began to exist the moment he was conceived in the womb of Mary. That's not true. Jesus has always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity. And he came into the world and then uh, became a man at that point. So, we learn about the Word, first of all, that He was in the beginning. Secondly, from John 1, verse 1, it says, And the Word was with God. The Word was with God. What truth does that teach us? That, Je that Jesus Christ is distinct from His Father. That Jesus is not the same person as the Father. He's with the Father. And here we get into some deep waters, because we're here, we're talking about the mystery of the triune nature of God. One God, one substance of deity, but that one God has eternally revealed himself and has eternally existed in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we have to be careful here, because we can make the mistake of saying that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all the same person. And that's not true. They're different persons. Remember, the Father spoke to the Son at His baptism. And He said, You are my Son with whom I am well pleased. So the Father is talking to somebody. He's not talking to Himself. He's talking to a different person than Himself, the Son. And the Son is not the same person as the Holy Spirit. At that time, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down upon Him. So we have the three persons manifesting themselves simultaneously. Now the whole reason I bring this up is because there is a branch of religious folk called modalists. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, modalists. They do not believe in the Trinity. They believe there's one person, not three. There's one God and there's one person, but that one God has changed modes over the course of human history. So the one person of the Godhead, revealed himself as the Father in the Old Testament, but then he changed faces. So he took off the Father hat and put on the Son hat, and he then revealed himself as the Son. And then when Jesus died and rose again, he started to reveal himself as the Holy Spirit. So the one God is the Father, then he became the Son, then he became the Holy Spirit. But that's not really what the Bible teaches about God. The Bible teaches that these three persons are simultaneously distinct from one another. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit having always existed together, having always loved one another, as Jesus said in John 17, 24, you love me before the foundation of the world. There's a relationship between the persons. So the Word 
existed from the beginning, and the Word is distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit, a separate and distinct person. Thirdly, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now I know that the Jehovah's Witnesses and their version of the Bible I have a different translation, and it says, and the Word was a God. But you will search in vain to find any other translation that translates this verse that way. Because it's not accurate to, to translate it that way. The accurate translation is, the Word was God. And to me, this is the strongest affirmation in the Bible of the deity of Jesus Christ. There can be no other statement made that is stronger than this. The Word, that is Jesus, was God. Not, it doesn't say the Son of God. Well, that, that's true. It says that He's God. He partakes of the very nature of God Himself. And that's why the disciples, after Jesus rose from the dead, in Matthew 28, 17, it says that they worshipped Him. You don't worship anybody other than God. But they worship Jesus Christ. That's why Thomas, after Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to Him, said, remember, my Lord and my God. That's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.6 says that Jesus existed in the form of God. That's why in Colossians 2.9, the Apostle Paul would say, in Him all of the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, do you understand that word deity? It's simply, it's another word for God. All the fullness of God in Jesus dwelt in bodily form. And in Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact <laughs> representation of His nature. Exact. Not just close. He's the exact representation of God's nature. So this Word is from everlasting. This Word is a distinct person from the Father. This Word is God Himself. And the fourth truth we learn is that the Word is the Creator. Look at verse 3. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Wow. Now, we would have deduced that simply if He is God. Of course, He's the Creator. But this tells us explicitly that Jesus Christ is Creator. So when you think about the One who spun our galaxies into existence, think about Jesus. The verse tells us right here that nothing came into being apart from his work. And that's exactly what Paul tells us over in Colossians 1 and verse 16. I'm going to read that to you. For by him all things were created, and him goes back to Christ in the earlier verse, by Christ all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. I like that last part. All things were created not just by Him, but He created all things for Himself, for His own glory, which is why God does everything He does anyway, for, to manifest His glory to His creatures. Okay, so that's who this Word is. God, the second person of the Trinity, an eternal being who is the creator of all things. Second question, why is he called the Word? Now, isn't that a kind of a, a different title? Why would Jesus be called the Word 
in the Bible. Well, what is the purpose of a word? What do we use words to do? To communicate. That's right. If I've got a thought in my mind, and I want you to understand that thought, I use words to take the, the thought in my brain and make the matter known to me, to you. So if God is wanting to reveal something that only He knows to us, He's going to use words. And Jesus is the vehicle through whom God communicates to us. Now, there's two kinds of word. There is the written word, which existed at that time, the Old Testament Scriptures. God had been using His Old Testament Scriptures to communicate what was in His mind to His people. But apparently God felt that wasn't enough. He needed a living word. And so He sent His own Son to be the vehicle through whom God would explain His own nature and His own being to humanity. So He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus. And that's why... In John 1.18, it says that no one has seen God at any time. Do you know why no one's seen God at any time? Because He's invisible. You can't see Him. He's unseeable. <laughs> we can't see the invisible God. But it says, the only begotten God, isn't that an interesting phrase? The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So here we've got a God you can't see, but this unseeable God wants to reveal himself to his creation, so he sends him in the person of Christ Jesus, who became flesh, so you can now see him. And now we can see with our own eyes what God is like. It's not just reading words on a page to see what God is like. We can now touch him. We can hear Him. We can see Him. In fact, that's what the, the same one that wrote this book wrote a letter, First John. And this is how he opens his letter. What was from the beginning? Now that's just what we read in John 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested to us. So thank God that He didn't leave us in the dark about His own nature and how He feels about things and what He took. He took all that was Him and He explained Him through His Son coming into the world in flesh. So that's why he's called the Word. That's why Jesus would say, He who has seen me, or He has, has seen the Father. That's right. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. Or, as we've just read in 1 John 1 and 2, that He is the one that we're, our hands have handled, the Word of life. Try to imagine an anthill full of ants scurrying around. And of course, these ants are so busy, they don't know what's going on around them. But what's going on around them is this big tractor is headed their way to bulldoze right over that anthill. And I, I can see that. But I can yell all I want. Those ants don't understand me. If, any, if I'm going to be able to communicate to those ants, I've got to become an ant. And I've got to go down into the anthill. And I've got to say, run for your life! The tractor's coming! Jesus became a man 
so that he could proclaim to us salvation, rescue from sin. We couldn't understand pure God in his form, so God became one of us so he could communicate the reality of the good news of the gospel. Okay, number three, what did the word do? What did he do? Well, our text says that he became flesh. And the word became flesh. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to become flesh? To become human. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And we know that the word is God. So here we could say it like this. God became human. Now, does that mean that when Jesus was born into the world in human flesh, that he ceased to be God for 33 years? A lot of people think this way, that Jesus was God, but then he stopped being God when he was born, and he started becoming a man, and he lived as a man for 33 years and then died. And then when he rose again from the dead, he started to be God again. But that's not the truth of the Scriptures. He was always God even when he was walking this earth. Now, sometimes he gave, up, he gave up the independent use of his attributes. One of his attributes was omniscience, but on earth he didn't know the time when he was going to come back. So he gave up the independent use of those attributes for a season, but he still was God. What he did, though, is he added to his divine nature another nature. He didn't subtract his divine nature, he always kept that nature, he always remained God, but he added to that nature another nature, the nature of a man. And so now what we have is the God-man. We have the one person with a divine and a human nature welded together. And did you know that that nature, the human nature, didn't go away after he died and rose again? Did you know that there is a man at the right hand of God today? bearing in his own hands and feet the marks of the cross so that we would ever be reminded of what he did to save us from sin. Now true, he is the God-man, the glorified God-man, but he has not just become one of us for 33 years, but he has eternally uh, re related to us by assuming humanity, by assuming human flesh in its glorified state. Now that to me is a mind-boggling thought that the eternal, majestic God would do that for his creation. Doesn't that blow your mind? I, mean, I can't even fathom that. It's like me becoming an ant, not just to warn them for a few minutes and come back to being human, but forever I'm going to remain an ant. Forever. Wow. It's sort of like God came into the world in disguise. God incognito. So God put on a fake beard and some sunglasses and dyed his hair and walked among his creatures, and they didn't know who was rubbing shoulders with them. They didn't know it was him. Look at John 1, verse 10. It says, He, Christ, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Isn't that interesting? He came into the world that he made, amongst all of the people that he made, and they didn't know who he was. Now, there were a few of them that did recognize him. Because in John 1.14, it says, we have seen his glory. So John and a few of the others saw his glory. But most of the people were blinded to his glory. And that's the state today. 
Second Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Most people don't see the glory of Jesus. And most people, when Jesus walked the earth, didn't see his glory. But there were some, thank God, whose eyes were opened to see his beauty and brilliance. Where did they see his glory? Remember his transfiguration? When his face shone like the sun, they saw his glory. What about when he walked on water or multiplied loaves and fish? They saw his glory. What about when he cleansed lepers or raised up the dead? They saw his glory. What about when he preached and taught as never did any man speak like him? They saw his glory. And when he was risen from the dead, they saw his glory. But in all that time, this was God in human flesh. And that's why Charles Wesley, I believe, thinking about these truths, penned these words, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Now we understand a veil. You put a veil over it and you can't really see who's behind that veil. God was veiled in flesh. Hail the incarnate Deity. You know what incarnate means? Incarne. You know what carne means in Spanish? Yeah. It means, it means meat or flesh. In flesh. Incarnate means Jesus, God, came in the flesh. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. So what did the word do? He became flesh. Our fourth question. After the word became flesh, what did he do? Well, verse 14 says, He dwelt among us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek is a very interesting word. You might not get this just from reading the English. It means tabernacled. It means he pitched his tent among us. It's as though God went camping. And the tent that he lived in for 33 years was the body of Jesus. As Jesus was walking around, he was camping. He was pitching his tent among us. He was tabernacling amongst human beings. Now, you remember, go back to the Old Testament. Think about the tabernacle. What was it? It was a tent, a big tent with various compartments inside and various pieces of furniture, but basically it was a tent in which God lived. And in the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle, the glory of the tabernacle was that God's uncreated light shone from that place. The, the Old Testament saints called it the Shekinah. It was God's light. And right above the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was, where the cherubim were looking down, that's where this light emanated from. And during the night, this light would go up through the top of that tabernacle and mushroom over the children of Israel, and then it would start moving. And that's how the children of Israel knew where to go. They just followed the light. Wherever the presence of God went, that's where they went. And during the daytime, it didn't manifest itself as light. It manifested itself as a cloud. So there's this mushrooming cloud that would go up through the Holy of Holies and spread out over the children of Israel to provide shelter from the heat, and it would move, and they would follow this cloud as it guided them through the wilderness. So here we have Jesus Christ 
as God's tabernacle amongst men. Now, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? What happened at the tabernacle? Exodus 25-22 says this, There, God is speaking, There I will meet with you. And he has just gotten done describing how they were supposed to construct the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that was going to go over the top of it. And he says, right there, there I'm going to meet with you. If man wanted to meet with God, he went to the tabernacle. And you had to be very, very privileged to meet with God. You had to be the high priest because he was the only one allowed in to the Holy of Holies. The high priest was privileged to be in the presence, the immediate manifest presence of God one day of year, a year on the Day of Atonement. There I will meet with you. And isn't it true that if we today want to meet with God, the only place we can do that is in Jesus Christ. If you want to meet with God and you just subtract Jesus from the equation, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to meet with Him. If you want to go through Buddha or Muhammad, forget it. If you want to go through Joseph Smith, it's not going to work. Or the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, if, if they're your mediator, it's not going to work. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He is the meeting place. And if you want communion with God, if you want to know God, if you want to walk with God, you've got to come to Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can know God today. Because he alone is the only one who has made sufficient atonement for sin. And a sinner cannot enter into the presence of God without being obliterated by God's holiness. Christ is the atoning sacrifice. Now, why was it true that man could meet with God at the tabernacle? Remember what happened on the Day of Atonement. They would take a goat, and they would slay that goat, and the high priest would take the blood of that goat with him into behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it seven times on the mercy seat. It was an innocent animal whose life was taken, whose blood was shed so that the people of Israel could be clean before God. The defilement could be purged away by the blood of this innocent creature. And all of that was just a picture pointing towards Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world the holy, harmless, undefiled one who came into the world to lay it down, who shed his blood, that atonement could be made. Remember, mercy seat. That was the place where propitiation was made. The place where God's anger and wrath was turned away by the shedding of innocent blood. And Christ has come into the world to be a propitiation. God is angry with sin. There's no getting around that. As clear as the day. Read, read 15 minutes in your Bible and you're going to see that truth. It's everywhere in the Bible. God is angry with sin, but Christ came to absorb God's wrath and turn it away from those who put their trust in Him. So that's why Jesus being our tabernacle can bring us into the into relationship with God and fellowship with God. Now, let's conclude. The Word. The Word has been and has existed from everlasting and will exist to all eternity. He is a distinct person from the Father and the Son. He is God Himself. He is the Creator of all things. And He came into this world in human flesh 
to be the meeting place between us and God. And I can only think of two appropriate responses. Number one, worship Him. Worship Him. He's worthy of worship. Even in His lifetime, His disciples bowed and worshipped Him. They, they could see His glory. They knew who He was. And if you see His glory today and you know that this is God become man, worship Him. Secondly, come to Him. Come to Him because He alone is the one who can remove your defilement, who can make you clean in the presence of God, who can receive you into relationship and fellowship with the eternal God. Come to Him and trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this simple meditation this morning would fill our hearts with worship and trust for our Savior today. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for being that one that enables us to meet with you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.